right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is podcast number 230, and the 230th match in the history of the U.S. Women's National Team was played May 7th, 2000, versus Canada in Portland at what is now Providence Park. Back then, of course, it was called Civic Stadium. The U.S. women won the game 4-0, and Christine Lilly was celebrated that day for becoming the first player, male or female, to play 200 international games. Of course, many years later, my WOSO research led me to discover that U.S. soccer had overlooked two matches in early 1995, so she actually earned her 200th cap two games earlier. And if you want the backstory of how I found those two caps, just go to YouTube and search for Discovering Hidden USWNT Caps. Um, yeah, a little self-promoting, but it's, it's a fun, geeky story. Anyhow, two chats today. First, I caught up with Neil Morris, who covers the North Carolina Courage, and we discussed Paul Riley's draft picks, as well as the performances of the Courage players in the recent national team games in Europe. Then I had a great conversation with Catherine and Meredith, the founders of TheBackline.co, a site dedicated to supporting women and others who make up the minority of those working in professional sports. And don't forget, Mixone is now on the Beautiful Game Network. Uh, you may need to reset RSS feeds or resubscribe, depending on how you get this podcast, since it's a completely new host. Um, course if you can't find it you're probably not listening to this and beautiful game network is still working with apple and itunes to get that feed going again i really apologize for the inconvenience but i am so psyched to be part of the beautiful game network of podcasts and you should check out their site dedicated to american soccer coverage at www.bgn.fm note that they are actively looking for contributors to add woso content to their site and Two, don't forget to be following Mixone, and that's two X's, and also Keeper Notes, my two Twitter feeds. Especially because if you like women's soccer, you like women's soccer stat, and you like prizes, uh, if you haven't already noticed, I, I tend to do giveaways during U.S. Women's National Team games and, and some other times uh, with, with trivia and prizes. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Neil Morris, the North Carolina Courage beat writer from, let's see if I can say it right, WRALsportsfan.com. Great website. Also, Neil, you do a podcast, right? Or do some radio coverage of the, of the Courage? Yeah, it's a podcast. Uh, three years running, the Inverted Triangle Soccer Podcast through my nice. WRAL coverage. One of the best podcast names out there. I, I mean, it it works on so many levels, you know. Yes, that's right. It does, yeah. and uh, yeah, and that's. I, I I'm proud to say I actually came up with it myself, which normally is not that. Not <laughs> well, let's let's talk. Of course, North Carolina. Um, first off, with with the draft earlier this month, I always think it's interesting when you've got uh, you know the team that just won the championship, along with some other things, uh, you know, going into the draft seeing what they pick, especially when here you've got the the champion getting two first-round draft picks. Obviously, one of those they got from Seattle by trading 
away Darian Jenkins. Um, it it kind of made me think about the 2017 draft. Um, is that 20? Yeah, 2017, where Paul Riley took Ashley Hatch, you know, and, and you were thinking, wait, you just won. You just won the championship. You have all these amazing forwards and you're taking another forward. And, and still like he, he makes it work. So, so looking at this, at this year's draft, what, what are your thoughts about, about who the courage took? Well, and not only did he catch, and then later in the first round of the 2017, he took Darian Jenkins. Uh, so he yep. actually took two forwards in the first yep. round. Um, uh, my, which, you know, I guess the, the draft for the Courage starts with, with Jenkins because of that, that pre-draft trade with Seattle where uh, the, where the Courage picked up the number nine pick, which, again, I'm, I haven't had a chance to fully debrief uh, Paul Riley on that whole sequence of events. Uh, I, on its face, it's a bit of a head-scratcher if you know a, a little bit of the history of, of how highly Paul uh, – thought of Darian Jenkins in 2017 when she was out the whole year last year she came back was still limited in her ability to play and I think Paul's uh, maybe his 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 belief in her overall upside probably waned a little bit um, she's an incredibly skilled player I liked her a lot and with with the way that the roster is going to be overturned this year I thought she'd have a lot of chance to to play this year but you know, I, I do have some question, and maybe Paul does too, as to whether her fitness is ever going to be at a hundred percent. And so, you know, that may have been part of the reason she was traded. Maybe she'd get more minutes in Seattle. And I think, the, however, I, you know, based on things I was hearing, I think part of the overall plan was that the Courage were hoping to package their first-round picks once they snagged that number nine back from Seattle for some target that they had. I don't know who, but I think they they had someone in mind who were trying to package those picks, and it just didn't work out. And and I communicated with Paul the night before the draft, and he's like, I asked, are you trading or are you drafting? And he was like, we're going to be drafting. Um, and so I think the, the, the courage draft starts from there. Um, you know, what's a little unusual for this draft, for the courage compared to other drafts, is I feel like – this draft in particular from top to bottom, from first round to fourth, uh, is, has been the most geared towards filling both needs and system. Uh, I think more than last year's draft, more than even the 2017 draft, the players that, that it appears the Courage uh, targeted and took this year are players, uh, with the exception of maybe one, uh, who appear... Uh, to be the type that could fit into Paul's fast-paced system, overlapping fullbacks up the, up the wing, box midfield. I mean, they, that's what these players are, are geared to do if they can play to their potential and find room on the squad. Uh, so I, I feel like this was very much a, a team that knows it has talent, uh, knows it has depth, uh, who were looking for players who fit into that system. Uh, which I was glad to see because uh, it, it's a bit better than than some other teams. And, in, in fact, the Courage uh, strategy in previous drafts of just uh, hitting and hoping and saying, well, let's get the best forward right now or let's get the best uh, player that, who's still on the board. Um, I, I think this was this draft was much more geared towards the system that they've that's working for the, for North Carolina. 
And that makes a lot of sense, especially when I look back at my notes from talking to Paul about a week before the draft in terms of what players he he thought highly of and what he looks for specifically, what he looks for in general when, when trying to draft. Like uh, the way he, he summed it up was the league needs athleticism and he wants intelligence from a player, you know, so, so it's finding that, that mix of a player. And I, I think he got, you know, his first three picks of, of total four picks, he got exactly the players he wanted. And, and I know not every team can say that because depending on where the picks fall or trades you made or who surprised, you know, the, the pick you want might not be available, you know, when, when it's your turn to pick, but, but he had talked about Pruitt. He had talked about Harbison and he had talked about Colorado college midfielder, uh, Millier, Milliet. I'm not sure how you, how you say her last name. Play, yeah. Yeah. But, and, and I love how he described Haley Harbison as very Lynn William esque, you know? So it, it's like, wow, if, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a great thing to hear, you know, come coming in, uh, as a rookie, but but what do you think about about those choices? You know, Pruitt yeah. at number five, Harbison, um, what number nine? I think, yep. and and Millier at fourteen. Yeah, I, starting with the first, I think Pruitt is the only. You know, so having spent you know a few minutes with that opening discussion of picking players who fit the system, I think Pruitt's the the, the one outlier. Uh, not not that she's not going to be a good player. Um, I just, she's just, you know, you think courage, you think, you know, rangy, speedy, uh, forwards who, who, whose, whose forte is getting in behind and racing on goal. <laughs> and, uh, Pruitt's a kind of player from looking at some of her, her video, you know, it's that old debate of pace versus speed. I think, I think Pruitt is kind of player that has some, has good pace and maybe not the most speed. Uh, but she's she's a ball striker. Uh, she's she looks like a bit of a poacher too. She's got a, a strong boot, and we all know that Paul likes if you know early in the draft he likes picking the best forwards that he that he can find. And the interesting thing about this draft, I know how you like statistics uh, and and factoids. The, you know the the first forward in this draft wasn't picked till number five. The, that's the latest that a forward. A, an out-and-out forward has been drafted. Uh, it, the only other time it was that late was 2015 uh, when wow. Gaffrey was picked number five. So this was the latest that the first forward has gone. And there was only two – only, and she was probably the only pure forward that was taken in the first round. So that is – that makes this draft already unusual. So the, you know, so the Courage got arguably the best forward in the draft um, – and and they got somebody who's a, who's a good striker of the ball. It remains to be seen how she's going to sort of fit into the scheme uh, again. You know, looking back through previous drafts, you know, we all sort of already project these players into minutes on the field. And let's be fair, the last two drafts, uh, with the exception of Ashley Hatch, uh, no one, you know, I can think of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, at least eight or nine picks over the last two years. The only one who got any, who has gotten any appreciable minutes for the courage is Ashley Hatch. That's it. Uh, so it's not like, you know, Paul Riley is going to bring these players in and they're going to be starting. At least I don't think so. Right. Um, 
but projecting into the system, I think Pruitt is the, is the type of player who, who, if she gets some minutes and can figure into the squad, she she can put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, you know, but I still have my questions. Uh, Harbison, you know, it's funny. I heard that comparison. The, the comparison to Lynn Williams is one you made, I think, on draft day. You know, I I always see her as more of a a slightly stronger Taylor Smith. That's what I see her as. She looks like a, you know, again, we don't know what players are going to pan out, but to me, she looks like a, I know she's listed as a defender slash forward, but to me, she looks like a pure fullback. Uh, Strong on the ball, strong on the defense, uh, accurate with her passing, and loves to race up the flanks. And I think that is the the type of player that Paul Riley would, would, would love um, and I, you know, unless I'm shocked, I see her figuring in as, as fullback depth. And I, and frankly, from, from what I've seen on film, that that's what suits her. I don't see her as a forward and I certainly don't see her as a Lynn Williams, uh, clone at all. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Lynn Williams, is, Lynn Williams is just lightning fast. I don't think Harbison is, she's fast, but she ain't that fast. Um, I th- I see her better as a fullback, and I think if she ends up being fullback depth, it, that suits her, and it probably suits the team just just great. And that that's why I would be excited about her prospects. Now, I could be completely wrong, uh, but from what I've seen on film, I I'd love to see her at, at a fullback and see how that works. Uh, Lauren Malay is, <laughs> you know, the most intriguing picks are the ones that sometimes don't work out, but. You know anybody who's looked at her her film? I mean, it's dynamite. She is a she's a crafty uh, midfielder with the ball at her feet, uh, quick as lightning, uh, and and from all indications, both on and off the field, is what we like to call a gamer. She looks like a gamer uh, mm-hmm. who who has who has just ground out her place in in sort of the soccer landscape. You know, I loved. I read an article post draft from her paper and her school paper in Colorado that talked about she didn't expect she was going to get drafted. Her coach called her on a skiing trip and said, "You might want to go to Chicago." And so she <laughs> booked a she booked a flight and went to Chicago. You know, ever, all these other draft draftees are there with their moms, their dad, and their cousins. She went by herself. She just flew to Chicago by herself and showed up and got drafted in the second round and was like. You know, Carolina, here I come. I, I, I love. She seems to have a bit of a moxie that I really like. And by the way, if you look at her highlight film, she's got a heck of a somersault throw in, which is really nifty. Um, oh, awesome! You got to, you got to. She's great at it. And I'll tell you, looking at her, and I don't, I don't mean to put expectations, but you know, I compared Harbison to somebody. She, you know, Malay's style of play, and I bet you Paul Riley has thought about this too, reminds me a lot of Dabinia. She looks a lot like Dabinia, not just her build and her size, but her, her skill set. Yeah, she may not work out, but I, you know, she's an exciting prospect to look at. And, you know, and I talked to Paul after the draft about each of the players he took and what was interesting. He, he said, Malay, she looks like she would fit perfectly into the box midfield. She looks like a box midfielder. Uh, and I can see Paul trying to slot her in at, the, at one of those number tens and see if she works out. So uh, that I think, and that's why I sort of say that all these kind of fit within certain aspects of of, of Paul's formation from last year. And it's interesting to see how they work out. And and I think that's that's such an important transition 
that we've seen for most clubs, you know, as, as the league is going into its seventh season, that if you have a coach that's been there a while and, and, you know, knows what he wants and obviously knows what, what works, you know, you, you don't have to do the, well, who's the best player on the board. You're, you're looking for, I have this system. I need someone that fits in this system. And what I always enjoy as we're prepping for the draft and having calls with the coaches the week before is, is hearing slightly different philosophies and and what they're looking for and how they rate different players. Um, Because everybody's, you know, doing it just a little bit differently, you know, and and I I think it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice to see with the league having been around that long, that, that evolution of, Hey, we have a sense, you know, as people that cover this, we have a sense of how Paul drafts, how Rory drafts, how Vlatko and Anofsky would draft if he had any picks this year, which of course we know was killing him that, that, that he had none, you know, um, what was also interesting, of course, with the draft is you had, you had newbies, you had Richie Burke and James Clarkson. And of course you didn't even really have a coach named yet for Orlando. Um, you know, so those were kind of wild cars, but I, but I like that we're, you know, evolving that you can kind of predict. And, and, you know, I love that you went back and said, Hey, only one other time has a, a forward not gone, you know, in, in the top four. So it's like starting to see patterns too. Um, and I also think it's, it's so important to point out kind of as you have already that it's not like any of these players are going to be able to jump in and start immediately. Um, your your big exception, of course, is likely Tierra Davidson. Um, that that it's it's a transition. You don't just flip a switch and boom, you're a pro player starting, and you you know push somebody out of a starting spot from the the you know last year's champion. So that you have to have coaches that are that are looking long-term too. And also, you know, factoring in the world cup break and, 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 you know, changes in roster sizes, but it's, it's like, okay, there's all these variables and how do I put all these pieces together and pull the right players that'll help that jigsaw puzzle go together the best. Well, and one more thing about the courage, it's a little different than the, than previous years. You know, the last two years when you got drafted by the courage, it was like, it's great. I'm going into a, a great environment. It's great training. It's it's cost of living is nice. The coaching staff and the head coach is is is, is uh, you know we've got a great reputation. But my chances of making the squad or at least getting any appreciable time are, are slim to none. Or, or if not, not even getting on the field, but even just getting a contract. You know, I think only right, only two, new, right. only, two only two newcomers got a contracts out of last year's. Uh, training camp for the courage, uh, Franny Krause, who didn't make it past half the year, and and Kaylee Kurtz, who had a, a solid uh, you know, rookie season at least uh, in on stateside, and probably is going to be a, a key contributor this year as well. Only two, um, and and only one of them were draftees. This year is going to be different, not just across the league because it's a World Cup year. And not just because we've got a 22-person roster plus those four supplemental roster spots. But it's going to be different for the Courage in particular. uh, Because, yeah, they're a solid, established squad. uh, And, yes, everything is going to be affected by World Cup. 
But, you know, there's at least three players from last year's team who we already know aren't going to be back, with Darian Jenkins, Sabrina D'Angelo, and and Yuri Kamamura. That's three. Uh, There's at least, I would say, five definite players who are going to be gone for a substantial amount of time for a World Cup. Uh, Sam Ewis, Crystal Dunn, Abby Dahlkamper, uh, Dabinia, and Abby Ursic. Uh Probably six if McCall Zerboni gets a spot, which is in, looking increasingly likely, which is good. And possibly seven if Jessica McDonald gets in the 23. So, the, I mean, they're, the, right there, if, if all of those are either gone or go to World Cup, that's ten spots from last year that are that are open for either the entire season or at least – Half, half of it. And so there's a lot of open opportunity for newcomers, whether through free agency uh, or or even the draft, to get paid contracts <laughs> this year. Uh, there's a lot of, there's, you know, several players from last year's draft who spent all year training with the team who may be in line to, to, to come back and get a roster spot. And then these players that we talked about, the three plus uh, Tillman from, from Florida State, um, have a possibility of landing, if not one of the 22 spots, uh, then certainly one of the, the four supplementals. So th- there's a there's a huge opportunity for the Courage this year, uh, a team that is going to be severely <laughs> impacted uh, by by World Cup. Uh, so some of the I don't know how that translates to minutes on the field, but as far as finding. Uh, a, a contract and a, and a roster spot, it's m- far more wide open with this team than, than the last two years. And, you know, as you pointed out, the four supplemental spots, which we've never had in the league before, slight increase in roster size. Of course, it's important to note that you don't have to sign 22, just the minimum is now 20. And I think, I, w- I would think that North Carolina was at the max of 20 last year. They were. You know, um, but and it's were, not and really with, clear. With... Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's it's not really clear with the supplemental players. Is do you have to have four? Can you have two? Can you have none? Is it a rolling thing? You know, like we we don't have a lot of details on that. Um, I would I would think you know it's 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 the best way to keep the best possible players with your team the entire season training, you know, in your market, taking care of not playing for free, you know, uh, but we still don't have a lot, a lot of details on that. But like you said, so many more opportunities um, league wide, but also specifically as, as you pointed out with the courage. Well, and the, the last three picks of the fourth round last year, which normally we use tribute as throwaway picks, the, the, for the courage, they were, um, Carlin Hudson, Morgan Reed, and, and Ryan Williams. Uh, Hudson missed a, a fit several months getting her degree from Yale, but she came back and trained. And, and Reed and Ryan Williams pretty, stayed with the team and trained the entire year, and actually got on the field a couple of games as, as NT replacements. So, you know, the, they stuck around all last year pretty much without compensation. As did, by the way, as did Sarah Teagarden, who's actually signed overseas, so she won't be back. Um, so, so all of the, you know, those, yeah, it it feels to me like some of the supplemental rule was almost a, a it almost feels like it has the the courage and Steve Maddox's fingerprints on it because 
you know, keeping those players in camp was probably daunting considering the fact they weren't getting paid anything. And this is a way of keeping these newcomers. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, a whole generation of players that are getting pushed out because there hasn't been expansion league-wide and the roster size has stayed the same. And I think the these roster changes are a way to address that. And I think probably the courage had it in mind too, knowing the number of players that they were going to lose to world cup this year and the number of, you know, the, the unpaid num- number of unpaid players they had training last year. And I think this four supplementals are a way to address that situation. Definitely. And then when we look at, you know, those, those world cup absences, especially what could be some, unexpected additions from the North Carolina roster onto the U S women's world cup roster. I mean, a year ago, would you have thought that Jessica McDonald and McCall Zerboni would have had any chance in being in Jill Ellis's 23? Uh, no. And I can tell you probably Jessica McDonald didn't think she had had a chance <laughs> to, <laughs> to make it. <laughs> and, and I say that because this has been sort of an ongoing open conversation with, with Jessica, you know, first time I interviewed her in 2017, she, you know, she's been, she was already a veteran. She was musing about, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm going to give this some more time, but you know, at some point I'm going to have to, to look at my options because while I love playing this, I have a child and I've got to look after, you know, I have to provide for my family. And, you know, she was already having those discussions in 2017 were in it. And I, and, and, and I know from talking with her and Paul, they had a conversation in the middle of last year and where she just sat down and said, Paul, give me, give it to me straight. You know, do you think that I've got any shot last shot at the national team? Um, and then lo and behold, you know, who, you know, how many, who, who's parlayed an NWSL uh, championship MVP more than, than Jessica McDonald. She goes out, plays herself out in the in the playoffs, and then the next thing you know, she's getting invited back to the to the national team camp. And you know, the interesting thing about McDonald in regards to this, um, especially in comparison to someone like Lynn Williams, I was thinking about this yesterday. A lot of people wonder, well, McDonald's in, Williams is out at least as of right now, you know, the one thing Jill Ellis has always said in regards to picking her, her roster, whether you agree with her or not, is that she wants, for the most part, and there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, she wants players with versatility. And she wants players that can sort of play and do different things and play different positions. And Lynn, who I think is tremendous and, and represents a, a type of striker that no one else maybe in the world can offer she she's a an attacking forward that's what she is uh the national team and jill won't want to play with a single striker who's a holdup, and that's not lynn williams uh she's much better going straight on the goal and in a two striker set and you know we the last time we saw her in camp you know jill was trying her out you know kind of spread wide and that just isn't her uh jessica mcdonald is much more you know, she's not the ball striker that Lynn Williams is by any extent, but she's much more versatile. Uh, she's a better passer. She's a better crosser. She's a better header. Uh, probably she's a better defender. Um, and she, if you need her to hold up, she can do that. If you need her to kind of spread wide and make passes, we saw against Spain where she did some of that. And oh, by the way, she can she can throw it from the touch from the touch line into the box. <laughs> 
which, by the way, is not an insignificant uh, ability. Uh, not at all. Watching, I remember when she came in late in the France game, I think the ball went out in the attacking third into in touch, and I think Kristen Press was about to grab it and throw it in. And you can hear the coaching staff on the broadcast screaming, Jessica, Jessica! I think they were telling her... <laughs> They were screaming for Jessica to throw it in and telling Kristen Press drop the ball. Where this, where we, you know, which tells me it's something the coaching staff is cognizant of. It's something that the team hasn't quite gotten used to. Uh, and I think, especially in 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 the women's game, I think having a, a player who can throw it from touch to, to box is is still a dangerous thing. So, you know, Jessica represents a, a versatility that probably suits what Jill's looking for, especially for somebody who can who can also be a, a backup holding uh, holding forward. So, you know, I think she her versatility is helping her, and 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 it couldn't happen to a nicer person. I'm, I'm so happy that she's getting this chance, and I hope she she gets a ticket to France. And then, of course, you know, briefly on McCall's or Boney. I mean, could I have envisioned her getting called into U.S. camp? Yeah, because she's that good. Now, could I have envisioned it after September of last year uh, where she suffered that arm injury? No, but man, the 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 recovery and the re- rehabilitation that she's had in just a few months uh, is amazing and sort of in keeping with how she is. So I, I think... I always thought that, you know, health considerations notwithstanding, I always thought McCall had an outside shot of getting on the team because of two things. One, her her, her locker room presence is, is unsurpassed. Um, I mean, everybody mm-hmm. relies on her as, as a leader. And, and number two, she's a pure backup defensive midfielder. And I think, you know, if you need somebody to come in as sort of a, a, a game killer, and Julie Ertz is not on the field for one reason or another. I think Zerboni is the is the natural backup. Um, there's no one else who is a natural defensive midfielder. I think on the on the team who's as good in that role as McCall Zerboni, with the exception of Julie Ertz. So I I, I think she fits in perfectly on it. She checks a lot of boxes, and I'm glad to see that she's back out on the field. And those are two huge boxes to check for the U.S. Women's National Team. I think I think back to this time, 2015, you know, that that was the, the big reason that Shannon Box was still in the mix for the national team is you needed another defensive midfielder who could come in and, and as you say, kill a game. Uh, you know, and, and we just didn't have that that many pure defensive midfielders. And I think the leadership component is is big too. Uh, you know, with the retirement of Abby Wambach at the end of 2015, you lost, you know, a veteran vocal leader. Now, I've, I've talked about this last week on the podcast and other times. It's not that we don't have leaders on this team, but you know, Sauerbrunn is a different kind of leader. Yeah. You know, Car- Carly Carly Lloyd, I can see being a great example at practice. You know, in terms of fitness and training and dedication. But, you know, not really the person that rallies the team together. That you know, that makes sense. You know, I, I don't see that coming from Alex Morgan. You know, so it's so it's great to hear because you've seen this up close, you know, yeah. see that that McCall Zerboni offers something that your your average fan and even your average media person isn't necessarily going to see unless you're following the team really closely. But clearly 
that's something that's that's a value to the national team. Hundred percent. And and Paul has said many times that I've seen it personally. You know, there's a lot of times where he doesn't need to to sort of uh, call players out because if 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 it looks like some of the younger players or even some of the not so younger players are slacking off, McCall will let them know. <laughs> she she'll do the business. <laughs> she'll do the business for him. He doesn't have to say much, and I've seen that. But oh, so but oh, so he gets to be a good cop, and she gets to it, be bad cop. <laughs> and I think he, he probably loves that. Um, <laughs> but it's not in sort of a, a tyrannical way. She's I often call her like the team mom in a way. She's the yeah. she's the she's the respected player that everybody can go to. And everybody knows that she'll listen and she'll talk to them and she'll counsel. There's there's no ego, uh, there's no selfishness, uh, there's no ulterior motives. <laughs> McCall is McCall, and she's the and, and look, this is her one shot. So you know there, there's nothing beyond this as far as you know World Cup. This is her shot, and so she's there. Right to be the leader. Uh, she's not there trying to sort of carve out her personal journey. <laughs> this is, it's all about team and it, yeah, it helps to have, there are veterans on the team, but it's also good to have a veteran that you know, you can, who, who you can go to without any kind of, uh, uh I don't know. Ulterior motive is a, veteran, a, a strong a veteran term, but, without baggage perhaps. Is, yeah. She's a veteran without baggage. Yeah. Or background. That's right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 100%. She's a veteran and a rookie at the same time. Yes. I think, and the only the only thing that would keep her from sort of, and I saw this on a couple of her first calls, the only thing sort of keeping her from sort of establishing herself in that role like she has with the courage is just being secure in her spot. Once she knows or believes that she has a, a place in Latine, which, you know, none of these players ever believe they do. Uh, but but once she knows that that's the role that's expected of her, she'll fill it ably, um, and she'll command the respect of of her teammates. And that is that's a that's a rare thing because usually older players who who are not starting are are not happy about it. And I think McCall is an older player with experience who will be more than happy to be contributing in any way she's called upon to. Well, and and let's wrap up our our, our Carolina chat with uh, just want to talk about Sam Mewis real quick uh, because you know she was such a big part of the national team in 2017. I think one of the players with the most minutes, um, you know, had some offseason injury issues. I was pleased to see her get in both of the games in Europe and especially get a little bit more time against Spain. You know, so I I, I feel like you know here's another big piece who kind of got overshadowed during 2018, but is, you know, ready to be a contributor. Well, overshadowed for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, she only started eight games. She only started eight games for the, for the courage last year because of both injury and the slow recovery from that, from that knee injury. Um, But when she got on the field, she played, it took her a while to get, back up to total speed, but she was playing really good at the end of the season and her, her playoff performance uh, in the semis and the finals was, was fantastic. And it looked like she was, she was back. I still, 
you know, I don't know a lot of this. This is going to be a lot of supposition on my part. I I get the feeling that there's still some hesitancy on the part of Jill to give her substantial minutes. Now we can guess why. I don't know if it's a worry of re-injury, if it's a, a still trying to get her slowly back into the into the into the form. I, I don't know. I almost get the feeling that they're concerned that if they play her too much, she's going to re-injure. But you know. I think she answered some of those questions late last year. Uh, can she play the, the the large number of back-to-back 90-minute games like she was doing in early 2017? No, nor should she, quite frankly. But she can play 90 now. Uh, she's and, and if you saw in the France and the Spain game, she I thought she was tremendous. I thought she was in you know mid-season form almost. Um, Especially when she's in the attack, I think that's the most underrated part of Samuel. She always get she almost gets slotted into being a six, and I think she's more of an eight. And sometimes hell's bell, she's almost a ten. I mean, I think she's just a she's a <laughs> she's a unicorn out there when she's in the attack. She's 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 a force of nature when she is charging up the center channel. That that's where she is unstoppable. Um, she becomes mere mortal when she's kind of just stuck as a defensive midfielder trying to to block and pass and head. I mean, but when she's pushing forward, that's when that she's a whole different situation. And I wish she would get back to that. And I would love to see a midfield with with her and and Haran and Ertz and you know. And I think that's I think that would be something I'd like to see. I, I hope that she finally. You know, there's plenty of plenty of space for that to happen. You know, we've got a lot of between she believes and some of the other, we, we've got a lot of time for that to happen. Depending on how some of the other players play, especially uh, Morgan Bryant. Um, but I, but I hope it happens because, you know, Sam. We've talked about this before. Sam was probably one doctor's recommendation away from not even being in the discussion for the World Cup this year. Um, right. But based on the assessments of her knee last year, she was very close to having a surgery that would have took her out for a long time. She wouldn't even be on the field. Uh, but she has worked enormously hard uh, to get back on the field. I, I read an interview with Sabrina D'Angelo last week, who's already left for Sweden, talking about you know who she kind of admired the most on the team from last year. And she, she mentioned Mewis. She said the work that she put in to get back not just on the field, but at a high quality of play, uh, was 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 amazing, and and I agree with that. She she is a, and of course we all know the stories about her her IQ as far as soccer IQ. So, uh, you know, she was she was on the fast track to be. You know, Paul Riley's always sort of a, a soothsayer on these things. You know, two years ago he was predicting she was going to be the the captain of the national team, and I don't think he was wrong. Uh, but you know, if that if she's going to get back on a track for that, maybe not this year, but at least in that level of importance, I hope it happens in the next couple of months because I think it would be it would suit her obviously. But I think if she's in form, it, it benefits the national team. Definitely. Well, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about, of course, the draft and and also all the North Carolina players who got to play in uh, in the recent friendlies in Europe. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what Paul Riley does with, with this mix in 2019. 
Well, we've got the draftees. He's already announced one free agent in, in uh, Julius Bexmart from Sweden, who looks like an interesting player. And I keep hearing there's a big signing that's out there and not announced, and I don't know what it is, and I'm very curious. All right, Jen Cooper here with with two women in two different parts of the globe, um, Catherine and Meredith, who have started this great website called thebackline.co. Um, and I like that it's .co and not .com. I mean, you guys are really savvy that way. But uh, I, I don't know which one of you to throw it to first. So I'm just going to say, okay, the two of you, tell me what the backline is and, and more importantly, the journey behind it. Yeah. Well, I guess I will jump in here. Um, I'm Catherine. I'm the Director of Operations for the Backline. Uh, I am currently based in Brisbane, Australia. Um, And my partner in crime is Meredith, and they're the Director of Content, and I'll let them introduce themselves in a moment. Um, But I guess it's funny because we actually kind of briefly discussed this before we got on the call. I was like, how are we going to talk about this? Like, how are we, like, there's so much to this story. Um, but I guess the simpler version is um, we met through women's soccer. Um, we're, we both played. I still play. Um, and we kind of bonded over our mutual love for women's soccer. We started we got talking about a lot of different things about some of the issues in women's soccer and the problems and some of the solutions that we could see and how could we help this um, kind of be a part of the community and have an impact. Um, Cause I think both of us having played, we have experienced a lot of, the world and kind of the issues that you can face and like but also the unique positive aspects of it I think women's soccer particularly has such a huge passionate fan base is also really unique um and Mm -hmm. we've all I think as women's soccer fans we've all experienced like excuse my friends but really shitty team situations like We've we've seen leagues fold. We've seen teams fold. We've seen our favorite players retire because they can't afford to keep playing. All this sort of our hearts have been broken over and over. Yeah, (laughs) and there's this unique camaraderie that comes from that. And so we kind of met. We started met through Twitter. I think we started talking. um, We started kind of like. It, it, I guess Meredith can vouch for this and like contribute here, but like we started kind of ranting about things in the yeah. DMs, if you will. Um, There's got to like, be um, somewhere to talk about this kind of stuff because with a lot of people, yeah. we're trying to now work in the same industry that has been so bad to us, you know? And so with this sort of front facing uh, image, you can't be ranting about a lot of this, you know, and you can't be mm. taking subtle issues or you're going to get blacklisted or you're going to, you're at least going to be known as the person who 
who is very critical of the very leagues they're trying to work within and with. Um, so yeah. I definitely, we, we went in it to, into it very cautiously, but found that this was a place to let off steam. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. part of the, part of what we want to provide too. You know, it's not just yeah. uh, networking and, and sort of, it's a community, you know, and you can have that, that inward facing, everything sucks kind of uh, perspective. Mm. <laughs> no, that's, that's a and great I, way to describe it. The, the, the inward facing frustration and ranting, but yeah, mm-hmm. outwardly you don't necessarily have to be the, oh, she's never happy or she's always in a bad mood or, you know, right. you yeah. can't please her. If, yeah. if it disappoints you so much, why do you want to work in it? Because it's beautiful. That's a beautiful game. And it's, I mean, sports, level the playing field but we're not there yet you know and everything still sucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think no. no i hear you i think that's something i keep coming back to is that women playing sport like professional athletes but also women in sport they're truly doing it for the love of the game mm-hmm. i don't think anyone would but you know- willingly like I don't I wouldn't advise anyone going into this industry working in sport or playing in sport particularly if they're women unless they truly loved it because it is a it's it's a dichotomy of this wonderful amazing thing but it also breaks your heart over and over again and uh get paid too uh yeah we're moving towards that hopefully yeah well, and I think it's it's really important what what you guys are are, are highlighting that, and I, I don't know if you have thought of it this way, but I think our society, and when I say our society, I'm, I'm really talking about American society, and and you know, Catherine, you can tell me if this this holds up in, mm. in Australia, but I think there's still um, a default presumption that women are not as interested in sports. As men, mm. I mean, in in my in my adulthood, in my lifetime, I have seen it shift. Uh, but there's still, I mean, I have enjoyed the advantage of being a woman who can talk sports intelligently as a novelty. You know, they're like, oh, you know, I used I used to be a guest on this radio show ten years ago in, in Houston, and, and we'd have callers say, oh, that's so cool that you've got a woman that can talk soccer, and it's like. I'm not a science experiment, you yeah. know, it's like, I'm a fan too. Watching the 1994 world cup in my home country, the first time I saw soccer played at a really high level. And a lot of it changed my life, changed my interest in paying attention to, to, to the beautiful game. And, you know, mm-hmm. basically that was the start of, of, of my path in soccer. But I think it's that, that presumption that that there's not going to be an an interest and i think when you're mm-hmm. talking about people saying well if it's so awful why do you want to do it it's like because i love following sports just mm-hmm. like you you know <laughs> yeah and I, and i want to be able to do this yeah i think i actually thinking of like what you said about just as kind of this still this surprise that women are invested and interested in solo sport I I actually kind of checked myself over the weekend because I was at a Brisbane Royal game 
And I started talking to this woman, woman on the bus. She was wearing a Brisbane Royal jersey and started talking. And she's like, yeah, the only people in my family who go to Royal games are the women. She's like, it's just the women. And I was just like, I was shocked for a moment. And then I was like, I had to check myself because I was like, well, actually, no, that's, that's fine. It makes sense. But there's still this kind of, um, this, this thing of like, oh, yeah, women really enjoy sport and women can talk about sport and women can be very, very talented in sport. And then the other thing I think I've noticed, I'm not sure Meredith can possibly speak to this, but like when we're connecting with people and stuff like that, sport as we know it wouldn't happen without the women working behind the scenes. I mean, having worked at sports events, but also like even just as a fan watching games happen, there are so many logistical things, the social media, the communications, the PR, the logistics, the team management. So much of that happens because of women that we don't even necessarily realize, but there's still this whole thing of, oh, you're actually interested in sport. And I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Meredith wants to expand on that more, but yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, and I think of, you know, the double-edged sort of unpaid internships, and it's like uh, you're trying to get this great experience, but it's only going to be open to certain people. But look at the de- the demographics of people who are taking those unpaid internships. Like, uh, the, I don't have any numbers to back me up, but from my personal experience, the people who are taking those internships purely, again, because they love it, it's like the unpaid internship was, was designed for the women's sports fan, apparently, because that's uh, the way everyone's <laughs> telling to get their foot in the door kind of thing. I don't know. Well, and that's not that's not specific. That to me isn't as specific to gender or or, or even 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 soccer. Sure. I think it's still I think it's still kind of a weird system um, because to like I know for the Dynamo and I think a lot of MLS teams are like this that they will not accept an unpaid intern unless that intern is getting college credit, and and that sounds yeah. fair. That sounds fair, but. That means that the only people eligible to work that internship are people that are at a full-time four-year university. Yeah, not just any college, but a four-year university, you know. And so that, that, that I think, eliminates, you know, a lot of a lot of um, opportunity from it. Whereas in women's soccer, we've seen in NWSL, some of these teams, they do rely on, on volunteers on game day. And it's, it's unfortunate in one sense, but it also creates this opportunity, like you've mentioned, of like, hey, someone can get their feet wet and go, wow, I I really like that. Yeah. I mean, case, case in point, for, for me, my the beginning of my soccer operations career was really when I was the president of the Adult Women's League in Houston. And so I would run the tournament, and then I decided I wanted to host a professional women's soccer game. So, I mean, obviously I was in a volunteer position, but it really whet my appetite for like, oh, I had no idea that you could do this as a job. This is cool. You know? So, yeah. So talk about how you guys, you guys wanted to put something together to help connect women like that, that had that same interest. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to Um, say this (laughs) 
funny uh, I, I, I think I got this because I, I think it speaks to the fact that it was kind of a one in a million chance of Catherine and I finding each other. Um, and I, we wanted to <laughs> provide that for other people because, uh, again, like you, you want this front facing, everything's fine. I'm happy to be here attitude, but you, you want to let off some steam and, and Catherine and I just fit so well together. And it's all about the partnerships and the friendships that we can make mm-hmm. that are going to not only provide opportunities because we lift as we climb, you know, when, when one woman gets hired, she's going to want to surround herself with women. At least that's the, uh, the goal. Um, but not only that, it's, it's friendships and it's, it's connection, um, not just in a professional sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think well, anytime we're building a supportive environment is great. Sorry, go mm-hmm. ahead. No, no, I think as well, I think the biggest thing is where as kind of Meredith and I were kind of morphing towards this idea, if you will, like it took a while to come to this, to what we have now. Um, I think that's something I realized is I have so many friends because of sport. Um, kind of thinking of like the volunteering aspect. I, I got, I've become big fans of two other sports because of volunteer opportunities that I was presented with. And it was two different events, weekend international tournaments that I got to, like, was asked to volunteer for and ended up volunteering for and ended up running logistics for both of them. And it's kind of frustrating because on the one hand, like, it was volunteer work and it was 20-hour days for, like, three to seven days. And it's, like why can't you pay people? But at the same time, that gave me invaluable experience and also lifelong friendships and networks. And it was incredible because now I've met people like Meredith. I met people um, all over the globe who I, when I was thinking, like when we were thinking about the back line, I was like, oh, I know such and such who could, who lives in Vancouver and they know this person and what about this sport and they need a videographer and all these sort of things. And so, yeah, like, and I think, of, uh, I think we yeah, think. is that how small the world is, you know, I think um, once, once you make that connection, the whole world opens up because Catherine mm. and I met each other for the very first time in person at the NWSL championship weekend on like our, our launch party kind of thing. And it, it really, it really brought us together quite literally finally and physically finally. Um, but also the mm-hmm. people met at that one weekend, this, this whole weekend dedicated to the, the pinnacle of women's soccer, which was just incredible. We met, what we realized like the huge names were so accessible you know that's where we met you we met other incredible journalists we met just people who are doing the best in the women's game and beyond and suddenly everything was accessible um and so you we do know people and we do know even not the big names but just the people who are doing the the best kind of work and we can connect to um so I mean, that weekend really put in perspective, but also really re- yeah. defines what we do. Sorry, Catherine, I cut you off. No, no, no. Uh, you were fine. It, it was 
going to say much the same thing. And I think really that Portland weekend really did solidify things because we met, well, that's how we met you, Jen. And like we met other journalists and people in sport who we respected for years um, and really connected. And there were moments, particularly that weekend, where we were just able to sit down and be like, we were networking, but at the same time, we were able to have that camaraderie of, oh, such and such, this whole situation, like, why is it going on like this? Like, what can we do? And then also situations of like, this is so cool. Such and such got this really cool new job and then they're going to do so much. And I think it was this great commiseration, camaraderie, networking situation all wrapped up in one. And I think that community is really what we're trying to provide through the website and the Slack community is um, a place for that to happen online, um, but also hopefully a place, a platform that can be built out into the broader sports community, particularly in North America and Australia. So right now, if, if somebody was even just mildly curious about, about working in, in sport, I mean, would they just go to the website and sign up or, or how does that work? So currently as it stands, um, the, we have a newsletter and then we also have a uh, Slack community. And so the Slack community is designed for women and non-binary people who are currently working in sport or are interested in working in sport. Um, you can sign up. There's a link on our Twitter and then it's pretty easy to find on our website. And then once you're invited into that, there is a whole bunch of channels uh, for various discussions. We've got resources, we've got volunteering opportunities, we've got different discussion channels to kind of um, have some banter about our various sports and teams. Um, we've got a meetup channel for Brisbane, we've got a channel for sharing events and things like that. And so basically, you can come in, you can join, you can start discussions, you can talk in the various channels. Um, and then you can also directly message people um, and people share what they are doing um, and what their role is. And so we had uh, um, someone I've actually become friends with messaged me and said, oh, this is really cool. I was like in the Slack and like said, there's all these people I've been wanting to connect with and this is the perfect place for me to connect with them. And it's really great there not current they're, they're about to move back to their hometown and they'll be looking for jobs once they move back but they kind of wanted to start networking before then it's just like this is perfect and like because everyone in here kind of knows what it's like to be a woman in sport they're like sh sharing information and things like that um and so that's kind of the purpose of the slack is that manifestation of the community um and an opportunity for people to connect and like I can go in and have a look through our Slack members and be like, oh, I can, it's my running Rolodex. It's like people are like, oh, I would love to like connect with someone who works and like, I need a videographer. And I can be like, okay, there's this person, there's this person, and this person's in Orlando and that sort of thing. And so it's providing that actual network as well, not just the camaraderie and community, but like the, um, logistical business network of okay I can find a freelancer here and things like that 
um, if that makes sense. No, no, totally. I mean, it's it's just it's creating a, an additional community, much like we've all benefited from Twitter and how yeah, you know, exactly. I've met I've met so many of you know so many of my soccer colleagues, you know, through Twitter. It, it's it's another way to connect, but also mm-hmm. I, I would say in a slightly more private forum. So yeah. you know, th- there's not going to be any trolls on backline, right? No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. And I think that's something, one of the first things Meredith and I discussed is like, what are the rules for the Slack? And it's like, we're open to fans. Are we like, all sports fans love to have a chirp, but um, like no harassment, no discrimination, no bullying. No men. Absolutely. absolutely. No men. No men. And it, it just, it won't be tolerated. And so that's, we've got a very firm line drawn in the sand about that. Um, and like when you actually get invited to the Slack, you get an email being like, hey, here are our ground rules. That's it. Um, and so that's, that's the, and that's the thing as well, because we were initially thinking is, oh, could it just be a Twitter community? But then the thing is, is we realized that, I think the other thing is women are such a powerful source of information in women's sports and particularly soccer. I think, I talk to any woman who works in soccer I know and they know so much and that isn't necessarily all private information, but it's not information you're going to go ranting about on Twitter. But I think having a private forum allows people to discuss things more safely. It allows us to discuss more sensitive issues in right. the sports that we all on all of us on Twitter, we want to have those discussions and those discussions need to be had, but Twitter isn't necessarily the best place to have them. And it's things like the other thing I think that came up for me at Portland is I think having a private community where we can talk about people where we feel safe working with them was really important because it wasn't, something that came up was someone said, I don't always feel safe saying on Twitter that I don't feel safe working with someone, but I don't right. want other women to have to work with them. Right. And so having that private community where we can be like, Hey, so you might be working with this just a heads up. This is my experience and things like that. Um, I think is really important. Um, and to be able to have that of just like that community, again, that network, um, and we can just share our knowledge. We have so much knowledge to offer. Um, and there are so many incredible women in sport. Um, that, yeah, our hope is that this community really brings them together and it provides opportunities and we're able to get people connected to internships and jobs and like out. I think Meredith has said this to me a couple of times. It's like, I'm stoked if someone comes to us and says, I found a job because of you, or I got connected with such and such because of you. That's just, that's what we're about. And that's what brings yeah. us so much joy. That's, um, that's what's make it worth it, you know, and, and yeah, and the icing on the cake. So. And, and I think it's, it's important too, to stress the, the less tangible connections that, that you guys are, are fostering where, you know, it's, 
it's it's great when someone say, you know, oh, I got a job or I got an internship because of this, where no one's going to come to you and, and say, oh, I've, I've had this great conversation with so-and-so, and then two years later, it really helped them out. But they're not going to think, oh, I need to go back and tell Backline that that conversation yeah. I had two years, you know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. kind of foster those, those connections, those relationships, a, a safe space where not just the, hey, what was it like to work for so-and-so, but to, to ask questions, uh, to be that that youngster coming up that's like, what is it like to work, you know, mm-hmm. at this place or in this sport or how, how does it work yeah. or what, you know, where it's like, that's that's not appropriate for Twitter. Twitter isn't a, you know, an advice board. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, think it, I think it's important to put that out there because those those questions, you know, people, people have them. I mean, I've always enjoyed, you know, since I've used to do my newsletter or radio show and now doing the the podcast, um, the people that'll reach out via email and just say, Hey, I've been listening to your podcast and I had a question about X, you know, and that's, that's always, that's always flattering. But what's, what's even more fulfilling is when, you know, I get the contact from someone saying, Oh, I've started doing a podcast too, and I love what you do. And I wanted to ask your advice, or or do you think I should do this? Or you know, where it's like, you know, that's that's really satisfying and inspiring. Where it's it's like, wow, this person is doing this mm-hmm. because they saw me do it. And I will always respond to emails like that because you know I know what it's like to be that person where it's like. I don't know how this works. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm just going to try to figure it out, you know? Right. And I think I, so I was living in Vancouver for two years and that's where I really got a lot of exposure to a lot of big sports communities. And I think that was the biggest thing um, is I was also able to email people and be like, Hey, I love the work you're doing. Can I grab coffee sometime? Or right. like, can I, like, um, I personally hate the term pick your brain because I don't think, like, people should be working for free and <laughs> things like that. But essentially, like, can I buy you coffee and can you tell me, like, how how did you get to where you are? Tell me a little bit about your story. And I'm always encouraging my friends to do that because um, people love to share that knowledge with other people. And, oh, it's, it's the I most mean, flattering question. Yeah. And uh, so that, but at the same time, I noticed while I was doing that, that occasionally it was really hard to get in contact with the people I wanted to get in contact because they're busy or because they didn't have contact information readily available or whatever. And so, I I mean, for me, my hope is that this Slack and the community as a whole makes other women more accessible to other women who want to work in sport who are already working in sport. Um, and I guess Meredith can speak to that as well, I'm sure. Um, honestly, you covered it. What I was thinking about <laughs> over here is um, I think in a lot of times when we're speaking about this, we even default to talking about women, but I, I we got to make space for non-binary folks. I'm non-binary. Mm. I use they, them, or she, her uh, pronouns, and I, I'm worried about being professionally non-binary kind of thing, you know? And so it's like, it opens yeah. up new worms. And so um, the hard and fast rule is no men, but 
you know, everyone's welcome, regardless of that sort of gender identity. Um, and um, I think, again, like it, it opens up, it, it's just as hard or harder in a lot of times, even if sport has always kind of redefined gender roles and expectations, um, it doesn't make it any easier to uh, not be um, identifying with a certain gender and trying to exist in yeah. that space. Um, and that's sort of the, the mission. And I, I never want it to be like we sort of tack on this and non-binary folks kind of thing. Um, for me, it really is central to the mission. And um, I'm working every day to to center that um, because it's it's important and not seen in a lot of other spaces. So. Well, yeah. and, and you you guys are struggling with something that I think just, you know, lots of different cultures we're, we're all still struggling with, where it's like acknowledging that there is this other, you know, like I said, non-binary and, and, and how do we, how do we handle it? And, and I like that, you know, your approach where it's like, no, it's not, it's not being tacked on, you know, yeah. and, you know, so, you know, maybe, maybe an even better way to, to brand this is, is not a, no men, but of course, you know, non-binary <laughs> slash trans, but just like, hey, the focus of this is for the the mem- the people that aren't members of the in-group. And by in-group, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean that it's it's a male-dominated sport. In-group. You know, so yeah. I mean, you could say minority, but I think that has different connotations as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but, but it's it, it's it's like because I feel like what you guys are, are doing is more than a, here's a woman space. It's a, here's a space for the people who have not been in the in-group. Yeah. Yeah. We, and and sorry, I just don't, no, don't think we have the words for it yet, but go on. Right. Go on. I, I think I was going to say it's just getting that access to people. Um, and um, I think, and that's something Meredith and I have talked about is like, and Meredith particularly is such a big advocate for it, and I 100% support her. Of how do we make sure we are including again, like both women, non-binary people, non-binary people, um, and not including the men who have had all the access, yeah, but also like having a space where people can still come in and feel welcome um and yeah yeah. absolutely well i really appreciate you guys taking the time uh you know to talk about about the back line especially when you know we've got one of you in australia and one of you on the (laughs) east coast (laughs) of the united states the the australian (laughs) news wasn't planned but (laughs) hey but it means you get to go see brisbane roar games i mean i know and And we just made the semi-finals and we're also jealous yeah excited (laughs) about that and we're hoping melbourne city lose the next game so we could have a new final winner this year um i think that's the thing that's united all of the women's all the women's soccer fans in australia is we just don't want Melbourne City in the final <laughs> new championship. Well, thanks I apologize once again. for any Melbourne City fans. That's that's okay. I'm sure I'm sure they can handle it. Uh, but thanks once again, and and good luck with with everything you 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 hope to do with the backline. 
Thank you so much. Yeah. Really Thank you so much, Dan. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Next up for the U.S. Women's National Team will be the fourth edition of the She Believes Cup with doubleheaders in Philadelphia, Nashville, and Tampa. The team will face England, Japan, and then Brazil. All USA games will air live on a Fox channel. Not sure yet about the non-USA games. Keep in mind, each match day is a doubleheader. Tickets and more information is available at ussoccer.com. All right, for those of you planning on going to the Women's World Cup this summer or considering going to the Women's World Cup, single game tickets go on sale March 7th. Right now, you can only buy city-based packages at FIFA.com. There is a ticketing link at FIFA.com slash Women's World Cup. You can also check out AmericanOutlawsTravel.com for details on their special travel packages, as well as events in France that will be open to all USA fans. And USsoccer.com should have info as well, especially because they are able to, uh, they're allotted a certain number of, of tickets. So be able to, to, so be sure to check out USsoccer.com. And be sure that you are following at least one of my two Twitter feeds, either Keeper Notes or MixZone. And of course, that's MixZone with two X's. Um, you know, lots of updates I post to each of them. Keep in mind, Keeper Notes is. Uh, Houston-centric uh, with a lot of national team stuff, but Mixone is exclusively women's soccer. And most importantly, I, I tend to do trivia giveaways, so if you're not already following me on Mixone and Keeper Notes, you definitely want to be following me on Twitter. And last, the 2018 Keeper Notes Almanac. Um, I'm waiting for the first printed version to arrive so I can proof it and then order a lot more printed versions. It'll have color photos, player registry, coach registry, all-time stats, all kinds of great stuff. It's available right now for purchase in PDF format at KeeperNotes.com. And soon you will be able to order a printed version. And I am planning to release a complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup in March. So stay tuned for details on that. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Thanks to Beautiful Game Network for hosting. And of course, many thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.